you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the Gospel according to John chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I've been around here for several years, but some of you are new, so just so you, in case you don't know who I am, my name's Gary. If you look at the bulletin, you'll see a name Gary there. I'm an associate pastor here at Harvest, so thank you for being here this morning. It's Labor Day coming, so we need to be, thank God for jobs that we have or used to have. So one thing that I'm curious about, I wonder how many of you have ever been a shepherd of actual sheep? Nobody, really? Has anyone ever been a shepherd here in this body? Probably not. Uh, I never hear of kids say they want to be a shepherd when they grow up, so that's not one of those, it's not a, like a high thing in our, in our culture today to be a shepherd. Uh, I wonder how many shepherds are in the U.S. today. So in the western part of our nation, um, some people who have huge flocks of sheep have foreigners come in to help shepherd their sheep. It's not uncommon for Peruvian and Chilean people to come and, and work here for a while and go back home and they come back and forth. Thousands of sheep on open ranges that can be hundreds of miles long and wide even. So what's it like to be a shepherd today? 
Well, it sounds like a peaceful occupation, but it's actually a very tough job. In addition to difficult weather, shepherds must keep a constant eye on their herds for fear of predators like wolves and mountain lions, things like that. Shepherding can also be demanding physically. Workdays are long and strenuous. In cold weather, the days seem even longer. And um, thousands of sheep can be a lonely and dirty job, too, as well. So back in the 70s, if you were around in the 70s, you might remember a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Or if you know Psalm 23, it's about shepherds and sheep and about God, the Lord being my shepherd. So a guy named Philip Keller wrote this book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he describes how utterly helpless sheep are. They're just utterly helpless. He says they're, um, they're pretty dumb, actually. They're not very smart. And he says when it comes to finding food, they're often clueless. As creatures of habit, they often will follow paths through desolate places, even though not far away is great eating. And I'll just keep walking these, these dry, uh, foodless paths. Sheep are also given to aimless wandering. There are even accounts of them walking into a fire. It's not very smart. Shepherds confirm that they are timid and stubborn. They can be frightened by most ridiculous things, but they also can be really stubborn and not respond to anything. Nothing can move them. They're absolutely defenseless. That's the main thing you know about sheep. We know about sheep. They just can't defend themselves. They, they, they're, not, they're not bad. They're not dangerous. You, they're open season for, for predators. Of all the animals that need human care, they take the most work. Shepherds confirm also that they just are really hard to take care of. In today's text, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And he calls us sheep. So after that, you may wonder, is that that's really doesn't sound like a very good thing I want to be called a sheep. As we'll point out, the idea of God or the Messiah as shepherd has Old Testament roots. So Jesus, Jesus didn't just make this up on a creative streak. He, he's drawing this from the Old Testament. Calling God's people sheep isn't because we are cute and cuddly. Well, some of you are more cute and cuddly than others, but, but that's not why we're called sheep. It's because we're unable to save ourselves from what would kill us, our own sin and those false shepherds who hunt for sheep. Our only hope is in having a good shepherd who is able and willing to save us from our spiritually self-destructive ways and our vulnerability to, to deadly spiritual dangers. As Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In this passage, Jesus used kind of, he uses kind of a mixed metaphor. He says, he calls himself the good shepherd, but he also says he's a door. So it's kind of a weird combination. You're a door, you're a shepherd. Also, he calls us sheep, as we already pointed out, and he calls, he's also trying to expose false shepherds who were around in those days as well. So starting with verses 1 and 2, in this first six verses, Jesus introduces the, the, the illustration of sheep and shepherd. And since there's no introduction to a new setting or a situation, he's probably talking to, talking to the same people that he ended up with at the end of chapter 9. At the end of chapter 9, he was talking to uh, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, who uh, had been really mean to a guy that Jesus had healed from blindness. They were really not good shepherds. They were trying to actually turn him away from Jesus. So they, they were failures in, in shepherding God's people. Jesus says, truly, truly, or amen, amen, 
I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So that's a familiar image to, God, to, to John's readers and the people who are listening to Jesus. The sheep are in a sheepfold or sheep pen, which is probably like a, several families would own these and, and sheep would, would share them. And they would have like an under-shepherd guarding the door. So if you're authorized to have access to sheep, you could come in. If you didn't, he wouldn't let you in. The shepherd of the sheep would enter by the door, in other words. Jesus says in verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So the doorkeeper recognizes the shepherd, and he lets him in. The sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name and leads them out. So we'll be referring to verses 3 and 4 quite a bit throughout this text, so keep this in mind. Shepherds in that part of the world often have individual calls or even nicknames for their sheep. They recognize his voice as he calls them by name. In verse 4, he says, when he has brought them all out, brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So shepherds in the West typically drive the sheep like they have sheepdogs and they kind of push the sheep along. In that part of the world, they actually led the sheep, called them to, them, to himself, and they had that personal call to the sheep. And in verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Sheep will not follow a stranger. They will bleat, stranger danger. <laughs> How is that? Pretty convincing? And they'll run from him, because they don't know the stranger's voice. In verse 6, John writes, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Common problem for Jesus to have, people not understanding him. The word translated figure of speech is a word that means a short narrative or a short story with a symbolic meaning. Some translate this parable, and it's technically not a parable. It's actually more of an illustration with symbolic terms. They shouldn't have been totally clueless to Jesus' meaning because since shepherd and sheep imagery is very prominent in the Old Testament, a lot of talk about shepherd and sheep. The most important text related to Jesus' teaching was Ezekiel 34. Now I'm going to refer to that. You can turn to it if you want. You don't need to turn to it. Ezekiel 34, about 600 years before Jesus' time, Ezekiel writes that the Lord was rebuking the shepherds or the spiritual leaders of his day for being bad shepherds, feeding themselves, not feeding the sheep, God's people, that is. He says, you have taken the best animals for yourselves. You have clothed yourselves with wool. You've not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick or bandaged or the, the injured. You haven't brought back the strays or searched for the, the lost. You've ruled them with force and harshness. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for wild beasts. So the Lord says, these were my sheep that became a a prey for wild beasts, because you, shepherds, didn't protect them or search for them. These are my sheep that you didn't feed. Therefore, the Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I will rescue them. I will feed them. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the stray. I will bandage up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Then he says, I will set one shepherd over them, my servant David. In other words, he's talking about the Messiah, a descendant of David he would set over his sheep. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. My servant David shall be a prince among them. In other words, God himself will shepherd his people through a future descendant of David, the Messiah. This is what Jesus is teaching in this extended metaphor of shepherd and sheep. 
Once again, Israel's rulers have failed to shepherd God's sheep, his people. Now Jesus is fulfilling Ezekiel 34. He's the shepherd. He's God shepherding his sheep through a descendant of David. It's Jesus. But once again, in their spiritual blindness, as we saw in chapter 9, they don't understand what he means. So now he'll interpret some of the imagery for them in this metaphor. In the verses 7 through 10, we'll see that Jesus is the only true way to access and enter his flock. He calls himself the door. Why is he calling himself the door? Well, he says, thieves and robbers who came before him can't, uh, are, are going to hurt the sheep. He's the door of the sheep because only through him, he's the only legitimate way for shepherds to access the sheep. The thieves and robbers can't be the prophets and Moses. He's not talking about those guys because those guys were good, good shepherds. They did good for the sheep. So what's he talking? Who's he talking about? Well, he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. So he's he's talking about those immediately who preceded him as, as spiritual leaders in the community, the the false shepherds of his day, the Pharisees and others who were who were not leading people to Jesus and who were not really good shepherds at all. He may have been, so also uh, they, they were trying to turn people against Jesus. He tried to turn, Jesus healed the blind man in chapter 9, and they tried to turn him against Jesus. Good shepherds don't do that. Good shepherds lead people to the Messiah, to the Christ. And so the formerly blind man who Jesus healed didn't listen to him because he was one of Jesus' sheep. In verse 9, Jesus says again, I am the door. Not only is Jesus the door for true shepherds to access God's sheep, but he's also the door for the sheep to enter the safety of the sheepfold, to be led in and out by the shepherd to find pasture. God's sheep or God's people can only thrive by feeding on the Christ-centered word of God. Jesus is the one way for sheep to have life. He says, if you enter the sheepfold through, through me, you'll be saved. Jesus will lead you and feed you with what you need to be spiritually healthy. In verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Thief will not come to the sheep through Jesus, nor lead people to Jesus. That's how you identify a false shepherd. False shepherds will not lead people to Jesus, and they will not come to people through Jesus. If anyone pretends to be a shepherd who doesn't come and lead people to Jesus, he's a thief who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes that, that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. What is this abundant life he's talking about? Well, he's talking about a life that is continually being shaped by Jesus, conformed to Jesus. That's healthiness. Health is being conformed to Jesus. And he's talking about eternal life. So it's a life that goes on forever and ever. In this life, it starts by being conformed to Jesus, by trusting in him, by, by being shaped and becoming like him more and more. In today's marketplace for spirituality and religion, there are many thieves. They want you to see them as wise shepherds who can help you find God and happy life. They say they will lead you on a spiritual journey. They, they like to talk that way. Hey, let's take a spiritual journey together. I'll, 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 I'll show you how to, the way. And they, they want to help you discover your own truth, so they call it, and find answers within. They want you to help find your best life now. Jesus says that if anyone comes to you professing to be a spiritual leader, but they don't come to you through him, they've only come to steal, kill, and destroy, no matter how nice they seem. It's only going to result in your destruction. Thieves want to steal, kill sheep by trying to, to get them to look for life out, 
outside of Jesus, apart from Jesus. They may use Jesus' talk, but they're really not pointing people to Jesus. They're, they're pointing people within themselves and to themselves. Only Jesus can give true, true life, abundant life, because only he gives eternal life. So how does Jesus provide eternal life? And why can only Jesus provide eternal life? Why is he the only, only way you can receive eternal life? Why is that true? He talks about this in verses 11 to 18. He says, as the good shepherd, I lay my life down for my sheep, that they may have eternal life. That's his point. He begins saying this in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. He's talked about himself being the door, and now he's talking about himself being the good shepherd. So both of these are necessary to understand the truth of Jesus' relationship to his sheep. As the door, Jesus, Jesus is the way to salvation and life for the sheep. But how does he provide salvation and life for the sheep? The way he does it is he lays his life down for the sheep. That's how he does it. So how does that work? One thing that you wonder is, would a shepherd of literal sheep lay down his life for, for the sheep? The good shepherd risks his life, his own life, to defend and deliver the sheep from predators that would seek to harm them. When David was applying for the job of taking down Goliath, he filled out in his reference forms, I have experience doing this. I, I killed bears and lions defending my dad's sheep. So it's easy to imagine, David won those fights, that's good, but it's easy to imagine a shepherd who might not defeat a lion or a bear. So if they did, that's noble that they, that they would die in protecting their sheep, but it's really not good for the sheep because they, they can no longer shepherd the sheep. So I don't think a shepherd would say, it was my single goal as a shepherd of literal sheep to, to, to lay my life down for the sheep. For Jesus, he says that is his, his own specific goal. It's his reason for coming into this world. It's his, it's his, his express purpose to lay down his life for the sheep. The, the words for the sheep imply sacrifice. In fact, that word for there is a word that um, always is used in a sacrificial context in John. Jesus isn't talking about dying as a mere example to display how much he loves the sheep, although he does love the sheep. He's going to lay his life down for the sheep. By that, he means on behalf of or instead of the sheep. He carries a cross, not a shepherd's staff. The words for the sheep are talking about his sacrifice, to deliver his sheep from their worst enemies, sin, death, and devil. That's how Jesus will lay his life down for the sheep. Now, even though Jesus is the good shepherd, earlier in John, he was called by John the Baptist. If you were here, if you've read the John, you, you remember, John the Baptist pointed out Jesus and said, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he's a shepherd, but he's also a lamb who takes away the sin of the world. All of those animal sacrifices of the Old Testament were pointing to Christ as the ultimate and final sacrifice. All those thousands and thousands and thousands of animals slain over hundreds and hundreds of, cent of years, centuries, were all pointing to Jesus. And they're trying to drive home this point that you, if you're going to be forgiven of your sins, you have to have a substitute. You have to have one die in your place. So that God took a really long time and many animals died to prove to a picture Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. For God to deliver us from sin's penalty and power. Sheep didn't, as sheep, we didn't have any idea that our sins were that bad. We thought, well, okay, I mean, nobody's perfect, but, but uh, um, really, Jesus, the Son of God, has to die for my sins? Yeah, our sins are really that bad. And sheep don't know that. 
However, um, he qualified to do that because he was sinless himself, and so he could take our sins upon himself and give us his rightness with God as a gift. But even a sinless person who's merely human couldn't take away the sins of all Christ's sheep because he's just a human being, one man. He can't do that. That's why Jesus also had to be the Son of God, who shared the very nature of God in all his infinite person, perfection, and worth. So here's the gospel in a sentence. This is how Jesus saved us. Jesus took on our human nature and lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. That's it. Jesus became a human being. In addition to being God, he didn't quit being God. He added humanity to his being. He died the death we should have died, and he lived the life we should have lived. This is what it meant for him to lay down his life for the sheep. Now, earlier, Jesus said that thieves will kill the sheep by trying to take them away from the life-giving good shepherd. But another, sheep have another danger. He tells us about this in verses 12 and 13. He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Because he's a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand is not a shepherd. He's not the owner of the sheep. He has no personal investment in them. He's just watching the sheep for a job, for pay. So when he sees a dangerous predator coming, he runs away, leaving the sheep to be killed. He's not overtly wicked, necessarily, like the thief or the robber, but he's just doing this as a job. He's not watching the sheep out of love for them and is therefore not willing to die for them. So the result, the result is the same, whether it's a thief or a hired hand, sheep die. Jesus repeats the words in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. As the good shepherd, he knows his own and his own know him. The tr this truth takes us back again to verses 3 and 4 where he says, The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. They know him and follow him because they know the shepherd's voice. Jesus knows his sheep and they know him. <clears throat> this, is, this is what it is to be a Christian. You know him and he knows you. You, just don't, you don't just know about him, you know him. And he knows you. If this sounds strange to you, if you don't know Jesus as you know a person to whom you're very close, you may not be a Christian. Jesus will say in John 17, 3, this verse is not up on the screen. He's praying to his Father and he says, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. If you have eternal life now, what does it look like? This is eternal life. That they may know you. This is John 17, 3. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Before receiving eternal life in Jesus, you're spiritually dead, and you don't know God, the Father, or the Son. When you receive eternal life, you, by definition, you know God, the Father, and the Son. That's what life is, knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ, his Son. If you know God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent, when you hear and read his word, you will hear it as the voice of Jesus. You will not hear it as merely human words. If you know Jesus you will not be satisfied with Bible teaching that doesn't reveal truth about him. Your heart will have a Jesus hunger that can't be satisfied unless Jesus is the main course. If you don't get Jesus as the main course, you know something's lacking. If you know God, 
He will constantly be in your thoughts. If you know God, if you know Jesus, it will grieve you to sin against him. If you know Jesus, you will rejoice when he's glorified. It will delight you to please him. If you know Jesus, you will love what he loves. You'll hate what he hates. You'll be passionate about things he's passionate about. If you know Jesus, you'll become more and more like him. You will pursue opportunities to grow in knowing him. That's why we don't teach the Bible here as self-help, how you can be a better you. You can get far better teaching on that by just reading self-help books, which I don't necessarily recommend you do. But if you do, it's better than anything we tell you here for self-help, if you're on that track. The Bible is not about you. That's, that's the thing. It's about Jesus for you. It's sheep chow, sheep food to make you grow and know Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible is for. Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Some of the most frightening words in all of scripture are spoken to some people who, who looked like they were all in for Jesus because they were casting out demons, they were prophesying, they were healing people. And Jesus says to them, this is Matthew 7.23, I think that'll be up on the screen. He says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. That'd be horrible. You think you're all in for Jesus and he doesn't know you? Go back to verses 14 and 15 on the screen if you can get that for me, Sarah. Jesus says, if you are his, if you belong to him, this is so amazing. Look at, look at what he says here. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Okay. These are the words I want you to see. Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's amazing. We can know Jesus like he knows the Father. Wow. That's incredible. This is the ground of us knowing him and him knowing us. The intimate relationship of the Father and the Son. In fact, Jesus came to reproduce his relationship with the Father in us. Jesus came to reproduce his relationship with the Father in us. Loved ones, don't miss how amazing this is. Before anything was created, the universe was not a lonely place. It was radiating with powerful, vibrant, intimate, holy, beautiful love relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We get the overflow of that because God's so good, he just said, hey, this is too good for us to keep to ourselves, Son. Let's create people. So they did. And then after we sin, it's too good to leave them or they don't know us. Let's find a way to bring them back into our fold. That was the plan. Why Jesus came to reproduce in us that relationship. And the way Jesus' sheep will come to know him is that he will lay down his life for them. This is what Jeremiah said 700 years before Jesus. That under the new covenant, God's people would know him as he will have provided for the forgiveness of all their sins. Because sin always alienates people from God and from one another. Sin always breaks relationships. The only way we can know God is by receiving Jesus by faith, the good shepherd, his son, by trusting in his death on the cross as his way of taking our judgment on himself and reconciling us to God. To know him. 
We don't come to know God by searching for him. You may say, I'm searching. No, the only way we come to know God is by trusting what he did to search for us as the good shepherd who searches for his lost sheep. We come to know God by trusting what he did to search for us as the good shepherd who searches for his lost sheep. Is he doing that beyond Israel? Good news, verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So how can this be? Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. How can be so certain I must bring them also? And how can be so certain that they will come? I have other sheep. I must bring them. They will come. They'll listen to my voice. How can it be so sure? Well, again, back in verse 3 and 4, Jesus said, The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. He calls them by name. Sheep follow him, for they know his voice. But again, how can he say he has, already has these sheep before he calls them? Because they belong to the Father. And we saw that back in John 6.37. John 6.37. All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And he, he talks this way quite a bit in John. In John 17, when he's praying to the Father, he says, You've given him, meaning me, authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to the, all whom you've given him. Jesus has the authority to give eternal life to all whom the Father gave him. And then Jesus prays in John 17, 6, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and I, they have kept your word, meaning they have listened to Jesus' voice, because Jesus spoke the words the Father gave to him. So to keep God's word is to hear Jesus' voice and to respond to it. Then in John's final book, his ultimate magnum opus, Revelation, we see how the Lamb of God, Jesus, saves some from every nation on earth by his death. Seen is in heaven. Living creatures and elders are singing, singing about the Lamb's victory over that authorizes him to open the scroll that completes the present age and brings in the new heaven and earth. So in Revelation 5, and 9, and 10, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus, by his death, purchased God's sheep for him. People for God. People for God. What I've been trying to show you is how Jesus could be so sure he, that he must successfully bring all his sheep together into one fold, into one flock, by laying down his life for them. All the sheep whom he died, who, whom he died for will listen to his voice and enter his flock. This gives us sure confidence that if we have heard his voice and so are his sheep, we will have eternal life now that can never be destroyed because it's backed by Jesus' death, his precious blood. It also gives a strong confidence that Christ will accomplish his mission for which the Father sent him. So in the late 1800s, a Scotsman named Peter Cameron Scott, appropriately named, he was from Scotland, went out as a missionary to Africa. He got malaria and went back to Britain. He was pretty discouraged, but then he, he got healthy and he went back again with his brother John. But John got sick and died. As he buried John, he recommitted his life to preach the gospel, and then he got sick again and went back to Britain. Totally discouraged by this time. Just totally, totally down. Then he goes to um, Westminster Abbey and he stands before the tomb of David Livingston. You've heard Dr. Livingston, I presume, that saying. That's David Livingston. He was a, an earlier missionary in Africa than, than this man, Cameron. 
And on his tomb was written these words, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. God used these words to give him confidence to return to Africa for the rest of his life. He founded Africa Inland Mission, which still exists today. An amazing, another amazing statement Jesus makes in verse 17. Oh, one thing I want to mention, too, that there was also the Moravian missionaries. Uh, so there were uh, slaves in the Caribbean islands. So Moravian missionaries sold themselves into slavery so they could be missionaries to the slaves in Caribbean islands. So one of the things that they, they are known to have said at that time was, uh, may the lamb receive the reward of his sufferings. So they had confidence in the lamb who would receive those for whom he died. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, he says, because I laid my life down, then I may take it up again. He says the reason the Father loves him is he obeys their eternal plan that he would lay down his life, bearing all the shame and grief of the sins of his sheep, knowing he would be glorified again in the resurrection. He did this in complete dependence on and submission to and trust in the Father. He wasn't taking a risk that this might not work out, that his death may end in vain. He knows for certain he would rise again. He says in verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Jesus' death was not a good plan gone bad. Jesus did not die the death of a martyr. He has complete control of his death. Those who killed him were responsible for what they did. They conspired, who put him to death. But Jesus came into the world to die for his sheep. So even though people committed a great sin in murdering him, the ultimate decisive reason he died was because he decided to. He chose to. He did it of his own will. He didn't have to, but he did. He had the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again because even though he did it willingly, he did it in obedience to the charge or the command he received from the Father. Jesus, not Satan, nor his enemies, was in charge of his death. Jesus was in charge of his death and his resurrection. Who else can do that? Only Jesus could be in charge of his own death and resurrection. So again, the truth here, and I had this up at the beginning, but here's the truth we're supposed to get from this passage. As a good shepherd, Jesus lays down his life for his people to save them, that they may know him and have eternal life. Jesus lays down his life for his people to save them, that they may know know that him and have eternal life. Now, <clears throat> anybody who's talked like Jesus does can provoke people to divide. So there's a division because of him. In verse 19, they say, there's again a division among the Jews because of, of these words. Again, because in the last chapter, they divided over Jesus' words because they were saying, how could a guy who healed somebody on the Sabbath, what they, they considered that a sin, uh, work such signs. So they divided. They said, he's a good man. No, he's bad. No, he's good. No, he's bad. So big division. Like we don't even know anything about divisions, political divisions in our country at all. But then they did experience those things. Similarly here, some were saying he has a demon and is insane. So they shouldn't listen to him because the claims he make, they think he must be insane. And insanity, they really thought most of the time was caused by demons. So he has a demon and is insane. Don't listen to him. So, the question I have there is, could a demon give sight to the blind, they say? Well, even if a demon could give sight to the blind, in order to deceive people, 
Why would a demon do that and risk people trusting in Jesus and receiving abundant eternal life? Demons are the worst thieves in the universe because they only want to steal from God's glory, kill his people, and destroy the faith of those, uh, faith in the one who will destroy their work and accomplish indestructible life for a sheep at the cross. They want to steal from God's glory, kill his people, and destroy faith in the one who will destroy their work and accomplish indestructible life for his sheep at the cross. They would never do that. So we should be having a similar division because of Jesus' words right here, right now. You say, why do you say that? Well, because as much as I would like to think it's true, not everybody here is following Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you should not be impressed with his words. You should be saying, this guy's crazy. He's insane. Who, how can he make these claims? How can he say, I'm God, I'm the Son of God, and only by faith in me can you be saved? Not everyone is part of Jesus' flock. As Jesus says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. If you're one of his sheep, you'll hear his voice, and you'll follow him. It's that simple. If you're following Jesus today because you heard his voice, you've trusted him, and you're following him. And you may ask, how will I hear his voice? I have to go into some kind of mysterious dreamlike state. Do I have to go on a spiritual retreat? And will I hear him talk to me like literally Jesus? It's Jesus talking. Hey, be, you, start bleeding. You're one of my sheep. <laughs> Do I need to go to some remote area on a spiritual retreat or on a mountaintop or in a golf course or a sea somewhere? No, you just need to read or hear the truth of Christ in his word. He speaks to his word spoken or read. 35 years ago, I, I heard his voice. I did. Yeah, I was at a Bible study led by a guy named Dick Anthony. Dick Anthony was the guy who owned a hardware store. He had a four-week Bible study where he was teaching about Jesus Christ. And when he said from the scripture that Jesus being God's son doesn't mean he was God's little boy. It means he was God. I knew it was true. And when he said the only way we can be saved is by faith alone and Christ alone, I knew it was true. This was Jesus. I heard Jesus' voice and responded 35 years ago. It's that simple. So to hear his voice, you just need to read his word or be sitting somewhere like maybe here even where you might hear his word taught or go to a friend who knows him to say, hey, how can I be a, become a follower of Jesus? You'll hear Jesus' voice in that if he's teaching you from, from his word. If you don't know Jesus yet, his word should sound like the words of an insane person. You should be saying, why are we studying this man's teaching? He thinks he's God. He claims his, he's God's gift to the world as if he's the only way to God. But if you're one of Christ's sheep, you know him as the only one who always speaks truth because he is the truth. And you have his life in you, eternal life, which means you know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. You know him as the good shepherd. And that's what we're going to see in Psalm 23. Many of you have heard Psalm 23. I'm going to read it to you from with Jesus in it because Jesus is in Psalm 23. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus leads me beside still waters. Jesus restores my soul. Jesus leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Jesus is with me. 
Jesus, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell with Jesus forever. Jesus will be our shepherd forever as he'll bring us into his new creation where we will dwell with him and enjoy him forever. You see this in Revelation 7, verse, verse 17. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The lamb will be our shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'm going to pray for us now that we'll not leave here without knowing Jesus Christ. Father, you've spoken to us today through your word because you've shown us Jesus, your son, speaking about his good shepherdness to his sheep. I do pray, Father, that everybody here will hear his voice in these words and will come to his table, will come to him who alone can feed us with his word that is filled with him that gives us everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus, that you are you were willing to be our good shepherd, to lay down his life for the sheep, who didn't have any idea that our sins were so bad that it required the Son of God to come bear them, to take our guilt and shame on himself. Only he had the willingness and the power to do that, the perfect, powerful Son of God, stooping down to become a shepherd and a lamb for us. Thank you for this amazing truth. We recognize, Father, that only through Jesus can we receive eternal life. He said, I'm the door. You can be saved if you come through me. If you don't, you can't find it any other way but through me. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing <clears throat> as the only hope we have for eternal life to lay down your life for us as the good shepherd. We'll praise you forever and ever and ever in that. In your name, amen.